Welcome to Parent to Parent, real-life tips to raise resilient kids. A podcast from Communities That Care of Greater Downingtown. I'm Chrissy Jumbowski and have two young kids. And I'm Beth Ann Sinelli, and I have two adult kids. One of us is in the school-age day-to-day of parenting. And one of us is on the other side now. Together, we'll meet with experts and fellow parents to share personal stories and provide support and actionable steps to strengthen your family and raise healthy kids. We're glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome to Parent to Parent. This is Beth Ann. And this is Chrissy. And today's episode is a little bit different as I'm going to be the interviewer to Beth Ann and her daughter, Aubrey, as they are here today to share with us their story of having a transgender child and what advice they would give to parents that may be in the same place now or starting this journey. So Aubrey, welcome. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Thank you. I'm so excited for this conversation. So to give some background and statistics, um, when we think about the LGBTQIA plus community, we know that this is a group that is disproportionately more likely to experience mental health challenges and is also at higher risk of suicide and more likely to use or misuse substances um, in comparison to the general population, heterosexual peers that they may have, cisgender peers that they may have. Um, so just some stats to share. So, and this is all from NAMI, which is the National Alliance of Mental Illness. LGB, so lesbian, gay, bisexual youth, are more than twice as likely to report experiencing persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness than their heterosexual peers. And then this is actually among transgender youth, twice as likely to have depressive symptoms, seriously consider suicide and attempt suicide compared to cisgender lesbian, gay, bisexual, queer, and questioning youth. So you can see that when we look at this population, there's even higher risks and varying levels of risk within this own, you know, group. Um, So thinking about drug and alcohol use and substance misuse and overuse, which again, as we know, people, youth, adults will use substances for coping and self-medicating, right? So when we think of using substances, LGB adults are nearly twice as likely as heterosexual adults to experience a substance use disorder, and transgender individuals are almost four times as likely as cisgender individuals to have substance use disorder. And then among high school-aged youth who identify as lesbian, gay, or bisexual, or are unsure of their identity, their illicit or illegal drug use is significantly higher compared to their heterosexual peers. Um, and the last thing I just want to share, you know, as I am putting all these statistics out there, and I'll, I'll link to all these resources too in the show notes, um, is that specific to suicide, we know that the LGBTQIA plus population is at higher risk than the heterosexual cisgender population for suicide thoughts and attempts. So high school students who identify as lesbian, gay, or bisexual are more than four times as likely to have attempted suicide compared to their heterosexual peers, and 40% of transgender adults have attempted suicide in their lifetime compared to less than 5% of the general population. So when we think of us at CTC, too, right, our mission is to really address drug and alcohol prevention, misuse, abuse, and mental health. So it really makes sense um, and all the more reason why we wanted to share this story and this experience and also as a support to parents and our listeners um, as these health indicators are really results too. And Aubrey, you and I, maybe you can speak to this a little bit too, is that these health indicators for mental health and drug and alcohol use are results of this environment that someone who is LGBTQIA plus is maybe living in. So, you know, due to which we're going to talk about rejection, discrimination, lack of support, all of those things, not necessarily linked to the fact that this is how they identify. 
Yeah, I think without without diving like fully into everything we're going to talk about, I I think that's like, I think when you look at the statistics, I mean, forty the forty percent statistic alone is like so jarring to read, mm. and and I think to some people with just looking at the statistics might suggest that those two are are linked solely just by what what it says. But I think a lot of it has to do with specifically with with trans youth um, about the spaces that they're in, so their schools their homes and even like their, their peers and that, and those kinds of communities. Um, I think when we're talking about youth in general, so much of like their environment, their support system, everything that's going on around them contributes to how much more likely they are to, you know, experience these things. And if you add on the additional pressures of, you know, maybe um, a school system, not supporting that youth or, or making things actively very difficult for them or a family setting, um, then you end up with with trans and queer youth who are are already feeling alienated, isolated, and in some extreme cases, you know, oppressed or or directly being harmed. Um, and it just it results in in an environment that really allows these things to 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 happen and and to be, I think, more likely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure we'll dive into that more as we talk about stuff later in the podcast, but. Yeah, I think there's there's a very strong link to like the the spaces that are created for these queer youth or aren't created for them, um, and then these statistics. So, Aubrey, can you share your story and your journey with us of how you got to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. I think my 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 journey might sound a little different than a lot of the popular narratives. I think now in in television and and movies and in all sorts of media, we're starting to see a lot more positive stories of, you know, trans journeys and what that looks like. But I think for a long time, the view of it was, you know, someone who very clearly from a young age knows exactly, you know, the, the, the typical narrative of I was born in the wrong body, which for me, and I think a lot of trans people wasn't really necessarily the case for me. I didn't really like piece together that anything I was feeling was, was related to my gender or being trans until early college for me. So, you know, in, in high school, elementary school, middle school, I didn't really, you know, there were times where I felt different or othered from other people, or maybe like I was navigating the world differently from other peers. But for me, the link to it being about me being trans really wasn't there until I was in college. And that wasn't even really necessarily, I I think part of it was due to the lack of resources and knowing exactly what the trans journey could look like Mm -hmm. at the time. But, you know, in my high school, there were, there were out trans people in the time I was in high school. Um, We had some level of education about it in our health courses But to me, the link just didn't really line up until later. I had heard about it. You know, we had students at my school who were were out as non-binary and using they, them pronouns. But for me, I just never saw it as a thing that affected me until I think I had some space from that and was in, you know, the first year of college where you're really trying to figure out where you fit in in a new setting. You know, your friends aren't based anymore on who you grew up with. You're wondering, like, you know, where, which which group do I fit into? Who am I when I'm introducing myself? You know, every every first week of college is a ton of games and stuff where you're being like, who am I? What am I bringing to the table? Mm-hmm. All sorts of things like that. Every icebreaker and I think that, that ever existed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all the all the RA introductions, and I think that for me really kickstarted the idea of well, maybe I'm not sure 
what is is going on here or maybe i need to take a step back and the reason why i'm feeling different is not you know something i can't pin down and, and maybe there's something going on internally here so for me the first part of like my my gender identity journey was my freshman year of college i i had learned a little bit more about what it meant to be trans initially i identified as non-binary i used they them pronouns in addition to he him pronouns which i was using more in like personal social settings at first and then a little bit in classes where I felt more comfortable. It wasn't something at first that I was, you know, really pressed about having people like do for me. It, it, like it, it didn't bother me too much if people didn't catch on to it or, or didn't really see me that way. But I think after a couple months of that, I started to feel a little more comfortable and a little more validated the more people didn't view me as a man. And I think that you know, I started to piece that together and I was like starting to think how I could further that journey or maybe see what would make me feel even more mm -hmm. um, comfortable and more more like in my body and who I am. And around that time, I actually ended up meeting a trans woman who had um, been going to the school for a while but was studying abroad. We, we clicked immediately and getting to know her really opened up a, a, a whole different world for me. Um, she had had a very similar experience to mine. Mm -hmm. Um, she also hadn't, you know, felt that wrong body type of narrative that I had been convinced was the only one that existed. Mm -hmm. Um, and really validated for me that like what I was feeling could be something more than just this like otherness and through meeting her that really, that really kickstarted a lot of stuff for me. I started doing a lot more research about, you know, what kinds of things I could do to make myself feel more comfortable. And at this point, not even looking into like hormone therapy and things like that, but just, you know, ways to move in the world, changing your pronouns, trying out a different name, trying out different forms of gender presentation. Um, and then around my sophomore year of college, that really started to click for me. And I started to, to, to piece together, no, this is something that's important to me. It, it feels more than validating when somebody sees me as a woman. And, and in fact, like, it completely changes how I, how I feel and how I operate in the world. So around the time sophomore year finished up, I think... That was when I was very confidently, you know, using the pronouns I wanted in class, making sure that it was something that people stuck to. And then from there, it's been a pretty consistent journey to just living as a woman full time. At this point in my life, I'm not even necessarily out to most people that I see every day. I, I am one of the many lucky trans women who... In most situations, it doesn't even come up. Most most people I see every day, and and even in my workplace, many people just assume that I'm a cis woman, and it, it isn't really a point of contention for me in my life anymore, which is an incredibly lucky and privileged place to be in, but has really you know reaffirmed that now that I'm out in the workforce and living my life, and it's just kind of a seamless thing, the 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 difference that I can feel between that and how I felt, you know, even in that kind of in between phase in college or, or even before when I really had no idea what was going on is a huge difference in how I feel. It's like your, your truest self now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Aubrey, so how did you plan to tell your parents about this and everything that was kind of happening? Because again, at this point, you weren't living at home. You were away at college, right? right? So it's kind of away you're on the college. rhythm of like, trips and visits and breaks and things like that. So what was your plan in sharing, you know, this change in your life with your parents? Definitely. Well, I knew, I knew that was really important for me. I knew I, I definitely had a lot of anxiety about it, but I was pretty confident in a way that I think a lot of trans people maybe 
aren't able to be that no matter how the process went, I was, I was fairly confident that my, that both parents would be understanding at the end of it. The first thing I did in the process of, of coming out was actually call Josh, my brother, because he had come out as gay years ago, gone through that process with our family. I had never really like sat down and talked to him about that, what that was like for him. I had just, you know, been there and seen how it went. So I called him and I told him first, he was great about it. We just talked on the phone for like an hour. He, I think he ended up saying something along the lines of like, he knew something was up, but he didn't know exactly what it was, but he was like happy to, to, you know, help me figure that out and figure out how I wanted to talk to the rest of the family about it. So I think it was like around that time we were doing kind of our own parents weekend thing and Josh and mom were both going to be coming down for parents weekend. And I said, you know, how do you think we should do this? You're going to talk to, to mom with me about it. Do you want to just be there for it? So we kind of made a plan together that we were going to talk to mom about it during that trip. I think we decided we were going to do it when we went out to dinner one night. Um, so we ended up all going out to dinner at this like pizza place that we went to all the time. Um, I was, I was nervous the entire dinner being like, when's the right point to bring this up? You know, is there, a, is there a segue <laughs> to saying, Hey, this, um, you know, the world shattering news. And I don't remember exactly oh. what, what the conversation was. Maybe mom I do, it. but there was I, something where we were talking about yeah. something I said like, well, to go off of that or, or segueing oh. off of that. Well, I could fill in the, uh, I could fill in the memory lapse perhaps <laughs> a little bit on that. Uh, yeah, we were, we were, here we were, we were at dinner. Um, mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, well, let me just say, I, I'm happy you didn't choose social media. Right, because Josh <laughs> as the way to the Facebook route. Yeah, we're, we're, we're grateful for the, the non-alert on social media. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, I, it I happened. I deserved a little more than that. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit more. Uh, it was in the spring. It was mm -hmm. at Parents Weekend yeah. in the spring. And I was getting ready to retire. So I was retiring in a few weeks. And that was the conversation we were discussing. Yeah. How are you handling re getting ready for this retirement? And I happened to happenstance use the word transition. <laughs> and I said, well, you know, it's going to be a transition for me. You know, my identity of 40 years, I've been identified as Dr. Right. Blah, blah. And this is what I did. This is who I am. It's all tied up in that. And transitioning to this new person, this new role, this new identity, a little scary. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So of course, that opened the door to, well, speaking of transition. You really set me up. <laughs> I said, I did. I set you up. So speaking of transition, and you just went with it. So I of just course went with it was, it. I, I think Josh like ran off to the Oh, bathroom. I think he was drinking, eating pizza and drinking <laughs> you know, beer as quickly as. That part. Yeah, I, it was just look <laughs> on your faces of, of they were, you know, guilty. Uh, yeah, they had planned this. And you could just see like, I can't even make eye contact right now with either one of you. So. That was it. So it was, you know, in a social setting at a pizza place. Right. Yeah. You know, that's, I love it. It's probably was a lot better than we need to talk. Yeah. I, know, think, those, I think so. I, right. I would, I, I found that to be way better than we really need to have a serious conversation. Let's sit down and have this chat. Right. That's because I think, I think that gives it an air of, I mean, but it's definitely it's serious. fundamental serious life change, but. I think I, I I think that took a little bit of of the the gravity out of it at least for a moment. Um, and I, I and I would say that it went better than I imagine most people's right. conversations like that go. True, so true, absolutely. And it's nice that you had the support of your brother too, and knowing right. that yes. like yeah, even though it ended up turning into like the kids, you know, again, right. <laughs> like 
but still, that's really nice to have the support. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I really can't like I I think as we as we get more into it, we'll talk more about this. But for a lot of trans people, even having one family member who is supportive and understanding is like in a, a tough bar to meet. There's there's a lot of people for whom they they don't even have one person in their in their nuclear family they can turn to. So the fact that I not only had a sibling that was ready to support me and and do the this initial part with me, um, but that we were pr- fairly confident that that everyone in our immediate family would be understanding as we worked through it and talked about it is is an incredible privilege to have at, at least in the trans community. So Bethann, how did you find yourself adjusting to this? I, I looked at this question, you know, in this outline as we were prepping for this. And Chrissy probably could answer this question because of our very, very close friendship. And she, you were there mm-hmm. in those beginning conversations. So it's kind of weird. I'm like, your memory might be better than mine on this. But you know what? It, adjusting to this, and this is probably goes along with the narrative that, that Aubrey's explaining. Um, like, I wear two hats. I, I can adjust to this from a professional you know, from an educator, from a health educator, from someone who's taught sexuality classes forever. Um, I could put on my professional hat and have that textbook reaction, but then I have a mom hat. Mm-hmm. So those worlds kind of blended. So I, I, I had the professional knowledge side, the research side, but then I just had the mom side. Mm-hmm. So I had to kind of adjust with both of those things and not let either one overtake the other, but sort of balance. So I think that the adjustment for me was not that Aubrey was trans. It And I actually, and maybe this is sort of kind of being lucky in this. It, it wasn't, um, it, it was just, it was just an overall, like a, a, a general adjustment, but not the kind that in a necessarily a sad way or a, an anxiety way, or it was more that uh, what can I do to help you? That was the adjustment. Like, right. how can I help you with this journey? And that was, that's immediately where I went to. Not, oh, how is this going to affect me? Oh, geez, what are my friends going to think? What's my family going to think? What are my colleagues going to think? Um, how am I going to adjust to this name? How, I mean, there are little things along the way that we'll get to that are awkward moments. Mm-hmm. But my adjustment was like, you're a mom. You know, um, like you're a mom first. Mm -hmm. So you just go into, for me, it was just go into mom mode. Yeah. So, yeah. um, Well, and I guess also working in the field, I mean, as we stated at the beginning, there probably was a place, it's like the cognitive part of your brain, right? And then the emotional, right? So knowing that the cognitive in the field teacher, you know, how can Mm -hmm. I help and be supportive and make sure my kid's okay? No matter how exactly. old they are, that's always your instinct as a parent because, yeah. you know, all the statistics we shared, oh. like, right. this, oh, yeah. could, this could be, you know, lead to some, it could just be challenging and scary, yeah. and I don't want that for her. So yeah. it's just, and, yeah. And what I didn't do, which really surprised me, because I could definitely go down the research Google foxhole <laughs> really quickly because, as my kids will say growing up, I did that all the time. It was like, I read this research article. <laughs> I saw, I was listening to NPR. We've talked about this before. Yep. I tortured them with that. I honestly have spent probably less than five minutes going down what do the experts say. Mm-hmm. 
I, 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 that was what I, I could have, but it, it almost didn't matter because that wasn't going to change anything. Mm. What was I looking for? Mm-hmm. Why? How? What? No, I, I, I wasn't looking for those. They weren't the answers. Mm-hmm. Like anything I needed to know, Aubrey was going to tell me. Now we've talked about, you know, resources, how to, you know, things that you, people need to know or healthcare and healthcare providers. And I mean, those are things you've got to research. You have to know that because you got to navigate that's complicated, but I didn't need to look at, you know, all of the the stuff that's out there that are these facts. Was it going to change anything, how I felt or what she was experiencing? So I didn't adjust. I think some people like to adjust by getting facts, by getting research, by getting grounded, by knowing. And that's okay. Um, but for us, I think it was just more of a day-to-day. Yeah. Right. I, mean, I think we had, we had a lot of conversations. Oh, too. Yeah. It was, I went, I'd like, and when I, and I think we'll get into this very soon, I, but I, I, we're in such a different place now, I think, than when we first started this journey. And our And our early conversations really were like, we, we had a lot of like in the kitchen, oh. like one, two hour talks where we were just like about, about all, all the stuff, everything that, go, everything that goes into it. And, and mm-hmm. you know, what, what was the popular representation of what being trans is and what it meant for me and what it meant for us. And mm-hmm. that was like a lot of our early conversations are just like, you know, do we still use this word? Do we still do this? Yeah. You know, what, what is it? This part looked like. And that was just a lot of it was, and, and it was new to me too. You know, I knew this about myself, but. I still hadn't really gone through the the whole journey yet. So mm-hmm. a lot of it was us just talking about it together. And I think a lot of your initial stuff too, wasn't even like you were saying, like you didn't go right to the research and stuff. I think any initial concern you had was a lot of what we talked about early, earlier, the statistics and stuff you already knew as a teacher, a lot of it was, you know, are you, is my kid going to be safe? You know, is, is my yeah. daughter safe living in in a, in a world that might not always agree with her? Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, what can I do? And I know that was something we talked a lot about early on. And I think that what, along those same lines of of looking at case studies and the research, right? Aubrey's journey didn't present. And and you said this in the beginning, because if I was going to question anything looking back now, and even at that time, and I know Chrissy, you and I had these conversations, it was, well, I thought this was something that started in childhood. I thought that people could say, yes, he or she started to do and say these things, mm-hmm. or they were uncomfortable in these situations, or it was this more typical um, elementary level or even, you know, pre you know, school mm-hmm. level of this journey, which is what we still hear a lot about. Yep. What we don't hear a lot about is Aubrey's story mm-hmm. is, is, you know, children into adolescence or into young adults mm-hmm. who then are transitioning. And what yeah. we really hear less about are adults, mm-hmm. like folks who right, right. perhaps are in their 30s, 40s, 30, or 50s, 40, yeah. which sort of it, it, it's sort of um, it's living that their authentic self. It's it's kind of sad to think that perhaps for a number of reasons, they could not do this sooner. Right. We don't hear a lot about the um, the outlier. You know, we 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 kind of hear that normal like early childhood kind of things because if somebody said to me, "Well, didn't you know? Mm-hmm. Couldn't you see it?" Didn't she say things, mm-hmm. dress, compl- and I was like, no, no, right. I, I can't I even see those things. I don't have those <laughs> markers. So that also leads people then to believe like, well, can it be real then? Because mm-hmm. shouldn't it look like this? And this is the mistake I think we make so often, especially those of us that are professionals 
in these fields is we expect this trajectory that has this linear path to it. And that is a mistake. You got to be prepared to come into it at any point. And if you're looking for that, you're wasting, you're burning time. I don't know why, but you, if you try to go back and figure out, well, when did, why didn't I see that? What, what, what? I don't know. I don't know why, but is that the point? Why are we going to waste time on that? Like, where are we now? And that's why we had those conversations that Aubrey's saying, and yeah. a lot of them. And I, I think when we had those two, there was, there was, it's not to say that when we look back, there weren't, you know, things that I pieced together yeah. where it was like, maybe I felt that way at that time because mm-hmm. it actually ended up being something gender related. Um, you know, there were like little, little details like that as I look back, but at the time that I was experiencing them, that's not how I pieced them together. And that's, and I think like what you're saying, the popular narrative mm-hmm. is that th- the person knows at the time or the parent knows yeah. and that's, you know, um, we I do joke though. I was, I was going to think about the photo. We had this one photo of you. Oh, right. I was going <laughs> to, I think you're like four in the picture, maybe wearing uh, like a, a dress, some sort of ballet right. tutu yeah, thing. My little yellow tutu. I love that. Yeah, a little yellow t- from a friend of ours. And I started laughing when you said that not, not that long ago saying, yeah. do you think you should have known? <laughs> like, it was just, a, just sent it to me as like, you know, a text one day. And I started laughing like, oh, there it is. There's the sign. <laughs> but I, but I think what you were saying about that is so important of the like, but it's not worth it to overthink it too. Because at the same time, like I loved wearing that dress at, at that age. I remember that. But also, we were a super open family about that stuff in general. So to us, it was just dress up, and we and and that was enjoyable and that was fun. And we did plays and and you know played all sorts of characters and stuff. And so it wasn't something worth over stressing about because it wasn't something pressing at the time. We were just you know it, don't label it. Was, it. It was enjoyable. It was yeah. something we had fun with, but um, it wasn't something to like overthink and be like, well, what does this mean? It was more just no, my my kids are having fun and. It didn't need sorting out until until later when it became relevant. So to both of you then, how has this changed your relationship? Has it made you closer or led to any other changes? I I feel really strongly that it that it has brought us a lot closer. I don't think we've ever actually like talked about, you know, that aspect together. But when I talk to other trans people, I often find myself in a position where I'm talking to newly out trans people or people who are navigating the part of their journey where they are talking to their parents. And a lot of questions that they have is how did you end up so close to your mom? Because, you know, we, we try to see each other every week. We try to talk pretty frequently. And for a lot of trans people, that is not, that's not something that's necessarily on the table for them. And so I've had a lot of people say like, you know, Oh, well, your mom must've been, you guys must've been super close when you came out or, you know, what is, they assume a lot about our relationship. And I always end up saying, well, actually, I think like the process you're about to go through or the process that I went through helped bring us to, to this point. We were always really close and spent a lot of time together and, and did all sorts of stuff together when I was growing up. But we, I, I feel like we got much closer over the last couple of years after we started to have these conversations because they weren't just about, you know, the process of being trans, but it was conversations about who I actually was and like who I was becoming and what was making me happy and you know finally figuring out which which like paths in life made me feel you know more rewarded and and happy and more myself and everything like that and so that led us to more conversations about just who we are as people and I think broke down some of the walls of like 
parent and child and was more like actually us getting to talk about who, who we are as individuals. And so I think it brought us closer, less in the sense that like the, the just me being trans brought us closer, but in the sense that it gave us all these opportunities for conversation about who we are. And, and now I feel so lucky to be like, I have an amazing mom who, who loves me and who was great through this process. And even if, you know, for someone I'm talking to who's newly going through this, even if you're not there yet, this might be the way that you get closer to that person. Because I think a lot of trans people build up in their youth and in their family settings, you know, kind of like a mask or like a, uh, another figure that is how they operate in a school setting or in a family setting. And I think all people do this, like yeah. cisgender people, mm-hmm. trans people, um, neurodivergent people, anybody who has like a different side of them that they feel like might not be accepted or maybe they don't know how it integrates into like their daily life. I think a lot of people have these, you know, these fronts that they have. And I, I think it's an opportunity to kind of like get rid of that shell and figure out who you really are in relationship to your family or, and get to show them that. And so it's, I, I, for a lot of people, I'm saying like, you know, this is the most exciting part. Like it's going to be nerve wracking and scary to, to be that vulnerable, but on the, on the other side of it, you're going to be closer because you're showing who you are to this person. So, and that way I think it's like a really beautiful thing. So true. So well said. That's (laughs) Yeah. I, I forget the question, but uh, <laughs> has it changed your relationship? Changed your relationship? I, no, I would just have to support what Aubrey said. Um, and, and you know, and at this age, it's really—I mean—you always have conversations with your kids, right? I mean, Chrissy, your kids are young, and yeah. you're starting to have those conversations now. You always have conversations, but the difference is when they get to be adults, it's really great fun mm. because right. now you're having real conversations. It's just yeah. not how was school, what happened at lunch. Mm. It's just not those mundane things. Now these are conversations where you can really start to discuss. And what's really neat is you get to see who they really are, Mm -hmm. you know, who your kid really is now and get to go through that with them. So I think that it does, you know, enhance these conversations and closeness. It's whatever you want it to be. Like you want your relationships to be close with your kids. So, this was this was no different. I mean, we were always about, always had really or conversations. You know, whether we're we we're outdoor people, so we have a lot of these conversations on the lake. You know, or hiking, or traveling, or whatever. So I think that um, it's not, it's really great when you see somebody being their authentic self, and you really know who they are. You just can't help but be closer. Yeah, and I, I think there's no more pretending or being. You know. Uh, like whatever chameleon like you know changing who you are and stuff right and I think I feel like a lot of I feel like every every kid I think when they reach you know young adulthood or early 20s hits the realization where where you're like oh my parent is a person outside Mm. of being a parent (laughs) and I think that's like you know that's something that's widely talked about that there's a certain age where you hit where you realize you know I'm I am fully navigating life at this point and I still have no clue what I'm doing, which means at some point my parent had the same situation yep. or at, some, at, at this current point, my parent has this, this situation. Right. Um, and I think that like, it's kind of doubly so when you're trans, because you're also realizing that about yourself and, and being like, you're figuring out who you are as a person. You're realizing your parent is a person separate from the mom figure or the dad or, you know, 
whatever your family structure looks like, you have an idea of who they are in that role. But when you're figuring out your own role and who you are, I think it gives you that opportunity to really see each other as people. And then Mm. that strengthens your relationship as family. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we are going to hear from both of you on advice that you have for parents that might be finding themselves in this current place and kind of beginning their own journey. We'll be right back. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. Hey, Karen, what are you doing? It looks like you're doing some sort of shuffle. Oh, hi, Chrissy. I'm practicing my shuffle. Your shuffle. For the snowball shuffle, CTC's first annual 5K run and one mile walk. Oh, yes, that's coming up. It's on Saturday, March 5th at Eagle View Corporate Center, right? Yes, you got it. And the whole family's invited. Okay, so tell me, Karen. As our CTC development director, what do people have to look forward to when they register, in addition to getting a cozy sweatshirt? We're going to have team contests with prizes, a hot chocolate station, raffle items, and more good stuff. Wow, I love that. I love that this event not only supports CTC's mission to empower individuals to live healthier, fuller lives, it's also a fundraiser to support this podcast, other parent programs, plus our youth hype clubs. And hype stands for Healthy Youth Positive Energy. Absolutely. CTC counts on donations to support everything we do. Okay, so where do we go for more information and to sign up? Go to runsignup.com and search Snowball Shuffle to register. And while you're there, you can also create a fundraising team. Great. And I will be sure to add the registration link to our show notes, too, so everyone can access it there. We hope to see you March 5th at the Snowball Shuffle. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. Okay, and we're back. And so my first question for both of you is, um, can you speak to when people may say, you know, quote unquote, this is just a trendy thing to do. Um, This child might just want attention, you know, et cetera, those types of things. Uh, Speaking of a child that might be coming out as LGBTQIA+, asking to change their pronouns, um, what would your response be to that? I think think coming into this podcast, this was like one of the things I thought about the most because it is something you hear so, so frequently. Um, And I feel like as there's much more representation for queer people in the media in general, Mm -hmm. we also get a lot more of this question of is it trendy because we see it more in everything. Um, and in a lot more positive light in everything. So I think there's this, um, it's very easy to make the leap, I think, that like because it's positively represented in the media, people who are engaging in this younger and younger are doing so because it's being positively represented or because it's because it's popular. Mm. Um, I think a lot of it is is a direct connection, right? Like people are hearing more about it. So people who are already piecing these things together about themselves have an opportunity to figure that out sooner. Um, I think, you know, for example, when I was in like elementary and middle school, I think the first time I ever heard anything about a trans person was extremely negative. Um, I think it was like in an episode of South Park or something like that. Just like a a, a horrible representation of a trans person. Um, I think they, they like, you know, used the word very negatively. I remember like the episode aired, I came into school, everyone was like throwing the word around as like a new popular thing as like an insult. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was like the first media representation I had heard. So immediately in my mind, I was like, this is a negative thing. Like, right. Don't want to be called this. Don't want to be associated with this. 
it is something people don't like. Um, and I like when I got in high school, you know, I think probably through some other TV show or something like that, I maybe like a, a 60 minutes or something like that saw a more like neutral representation of somebody transitioning and what that looked like, but not still not like a positive media representation. Um, so even like into my college, there still wasn't a lot of that. Whereas in the last like four or five years, we've seen a huge boom in, you know, shows, movies, podcasts, everything having much more, you know, we've got mainstream celebrities who, who are household names who are trans um, and are, and are cast in movies as, as trans or non-trans characters. And so like, we have a lot more of that, which I think is a big part of that, right? Like the, more people now have heard the terms transgender, non-binary, stuff like that, much more frequently. Um, I think then that, like, that's all to say that in terms of this being a trendy thing, um, I think it, it it is and it isn't. I think it's trendy in the way that we hear more about it, so we see more of it. Um, but then in terms of, like, for a parent who's asking this question directly, if they're concerned about their kid, doing it because it's part of a trend. And I know for a lot of parents where that concern really like kind of hits a sticking point is with um, actually going through the processes of hormone therapy and things like that. I think for a lot of parents, their big fear with that boils down to if this is a trendy thing, is this a mistake to let my kids start going through this process? Because I think it's, I think it's less for them. Like, you know, if it was just an identity aspect and less of like a, a transformation and something they would medically go through. I think I think parents can maybe write that off because it's like they're like if it's trendy they'll they'll stop doing it in a year, right? And it, and it won't be something we have to make a permanent change um, for. My my big point that I think I think a lot of people who raise this question might not be aware of, or I think as like a media representation and society in general, a thing we don't have a great understanding of is exactly how the hormone therapy process works. Um, I think there's a very big fear that the process is like irreversible, life-changing and really dramatic, which in, in some of like the later ways it is, like it can do a lot for transforming how you present and move in the world. Um, the big thing that like I always want to say when I'm having these conversations is that for, for kids under 18, the path to, you know, hormone therapy or medically transitioning um, looks very, very different and a lot less permanent. So for instance, if a, if a young student, like first, second grade, even, um, or like anywhere in elementary school voices that they're trans and they want to, you know, do something about it. They want to medically transition. The first thing any doctor who knows what they're doing would do would be to talk about the idea of, of puberty blockers. Um, so as opposed to estrogen or testosterone or actual like hormone therapy processes that basically like induce another puberty or a second puberty is what people refer to it sometimes. Um, hormone blockers just stop the process altogether. So the, the child will still grow healthily as they normally would through those ages. Um, the only main difference is that if they're on puberty blockers, they won't go through all of the first changes that that initial puberty has, um, which for a lot of trans people is when they really start to have those initial feelings of dysphoria and where a lot of those kind of like mental health statistics that we talk about really start to come into play. Um, I think for a lot of trans people, when they hit the the stages of puberty in, in middle school and high school and everything like that, 
if they don't know the trans or even if they do, that's where they really start to get the disconnect of I'm, I'm not feeling comfortable in my body or I'm not feeling comfortable with how other people are perceiving me or how I'm moving through the world. Now it changes things for you. Um, so I think that's where a lot of that, those feelings of like hopelessness and stuff like that start to come into play is they feel like something is happening to them that is out of their control. That's, that's not, they can't stop it. And it's changing the way that people are treating them and seeing them. And it makes it feel all more real. Um, I think the benefit in that sense of puberty blockers is they don't have to undergo that process. They, it basically gives them a couple years to make sure this is really what they want to do. And then if, if it is something that they really want to go through, they can begin that um, hormone therapy process at a much younger age, which then in turn makes a lot of the dysphoria and things like that down the road um, a lot more easier. Or I might, maybe I shouldn't say easier because that's not the experience I've had, but it, it helps make that process go a little bit smoother and remove some of those obstacles that I think a lot of trans people go for go through. Um, anecdotally, you know, one instance is, you know, if you're on if you're on hormone blockers or puberty blockers. Um, and you're, you know, for instance, MTF, which is male to female is what they refer to it as. Um, you wouldn't have testosterone deep in your voice. So I went through initial puberty. My voice is a lot deeper than, than other people. And that's, that's not something that changes in hormone therapy. If I wanted to change my voice, I would do vocal therapy. Um, whereas someone who was on puberty blockers when they were younger and then starts hormone therapy, their voice would never be deepened by testosterone. So it would make, you know, their daily life, their passing, maybe their dysphoria that they feel about their body significantly less because they have some less of these um, inconsistencies that that lead to dysphoria or to that feeling of uncomfortableness. Um, so I think, you know, this is this is a lot of stuff to just say that like the process isn't as dramatic and immediate as I think we assume. And there is kind of a like slow way that you can build into this, at least medically without, um, without feeling like you're like giving up complete control or, or you're, you're letting your, your kid give into something that's trendy and might be something they regret later on. I think that there's like in place, luckily now, a lot of procedures and medical processes that allow for it to happen on a much more controllable scale and in a way that allows for you to change your mind when you're younger, which I think is, is awesome. I think that this is the place where, and, and Aubrey did a really beautiful job as she, you know, explained that because I think a parent's first reaction is, you know, that your child is experimenting. Your child is influenced by social media, by peers, by the environment, by the community, by the culture at school, whatever it might be. And we know that kids will take on different identities mm-hmm. and, and, and not, not in the sexual identity sense, but whether it's music, art, athletics, uh, uh, academics, um, they'll, you know, change hair color, change hairstyle, change clothing, dress all in black, dress all. I mean, we've seen all, you know, variations of, of all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that sometimes this might get thrown into although those other things seem quite trivial to me, whether it's, you know, choice of music or, or choice of, you know, clothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes it, it falls into that trend trap. And so it, 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 it's something that I think, but to Aubrey's point for parents to understand is this is where you do need to do your research. 
because it's not just as simple as I'm going to put the purple streak in my hair today. Um, and there are, there are stop gaps along the way. And there's, there is a process through, um, through counseling, you know, healthcare system, but you've got to find that and you've got to find the right people because not everyone is equipped and we're very fortunate where we live here, yeah. um, you know, in, you know, outside the Philadelphia area to have, um, experience and to have professionals who are highly qualified um, to navigate this for parents and their children. So that's the part where we're quite fortunate that doesn't exist across this country for all youth, LGBTQ plus youth. They don't have those resources and parents do have that here. So you can, as Aubrey said, along the way, you would be able to assess where that child is in this process of perhaps this isn't who they are. And this is true. I think what happens for us in society is that we, we are, we're locked into the idea that sexuality has two boxes and it's male or it's female. We, you know, this goes back to years of research in sexuality of continuums and sexuality is very much on a continuum, but we're not comfortable with the muddy mm. continuum. We are only comfortable with two choices and those two choices lead to two paths in life, you know, and, and, and that's it. And this is not what that is. And what we're finding out as we know more and, and have more experiences with LGBTQ individuals is that it's, it's not going to be that, it's not that easy, those two boxes. And for all of us who grew up with that, and I think that children today and where we shortchange them is that our kids, children, adolescents, young adults are way better at this and get this I have a greater comfort with it than their parents do. Definitely. And that's really difficult. It's comfort level. And it's really difficult when kids can move quite easily along this continuum and we have an image. And, and that's where the, that's where this, this idea is it a trend. Is it this, is it temporary? Cause maybe we want it to be because we only know two boxes of gender. Yeah. I, I think that's a, gender that's expression great, should say. I think that's like a great way to describe it. I think we do get, I think, I think it's, I've, I've met so many younger trans people who I'm blown away with how much like simpler and better they seem to understand it than even I do. Like, I feel like I'm still unpacking so much stuff that mm -hmm. I learned about these things and the assumptions that I had about, you know, sexuality and gender as as binaries and everything like that and i and i'm still working through that as somebody who's you know older and in the queer community and everything like that and it seems like youth have a whole better concept of it than even i do only a couple years removed from them um and i think the other thing about like you know we talked a little bit about the the medical side of it and how that plays into it being trendy but i think like you know the other question i would pose to a parent who's you know, afraid of it being a trend or, or is worried that it might be something their kid would grow out of, um, would really be to like, to, to look inward and wonder, you know, what, what are you afraid of here? And then what, you know, then finding the answers to like, maybe, maybe that's not necessarily the case of what you're scared of might not actually be what's happening here. Or, or I think even, you know, even more simply, I think a lot of things you can do to support a kid who is trans or, you know, maybe thinks that they're trans, but hasn't quite figured that out are ones that require no immediate or, or require no permanent changes, right? Like um, 
it might be difficult, but it doesn't cost anything or cause a permanent change to refer to them how they want to be referred to, right? Like right. even even in kind of like a goofy anecdotal way, like if your kid wants to be referred to as Batman, like what necessarily are the consequences for you to do that? Like it might feel a little embarrassing to to say that out loud, but if it's making your kid happier and it's not, you know, affecting their life in any negative way, is that really um that important in the grand scheme of things um and I, and I think the same way with like like the the pronouns and the name changing and just you know treating them differently if you try that out for a little bit that that isn't gonna affect anything permanently for them um and it might be exactly what they need to really help give them that support um so I think not even like getting into the the medical aspects of it but just in like the personal social interaction stuff those kind of changes, while while tough, I think for some people to get used to, are are just giving it a shot can have a huge payoff in terms of of that kid being supported right out of the gate. That's a great point. Yep, love uh, that. It comes back to that validation and support. Love yeah, that. and so mm-hmm. kind of that actually brings us to our next question to both of you. So, say your child comes to you and says, you know, maybe previously their pronouns were he, him, and they say, you know what, I really feel like my pronouns really should be her, she. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you, can you talk about maybe with trying to, and maybe wanting to change name too, maybe name and pronouns all yeah. too, and that's it. Right. So can you speak to kind of having grace with one another with this and giving each other a little bit of, of time and, and, and just some grace is probably the best word. Definitely. I think, I think grace is a really important, like a word for that, because I think, um, I, I think within the queer community, there's a lot of discussion about this, like how much, um, specifically more, I think outside of the family setting, but also definitely in the family setting, like how much grace should we, we give someone for, um, not recognizing those things. So I think that there's, there's some debate of, you know, if it's, if it's happening frequently where they're not acknowledging this new change or they're, or they're purposefully not using um, the name you would prefer or something like that. Like, is, is there a point you reach where it is um, like something purposefully negative and, and where's the point where it's like, they're just learning. Um, And I think that like people have so many different thoughts on this and, and where it actually like lands is, is totally, I think up to the, the people in this situation. Um, I know with me and mom, that was definitely a learning point at first. It wasn't, um, you know, when I first said that I wanted my name to be Aubrey and I wanted to use she, her pronouns. Um, it wasn't like I was immediately met with like a a negative reaction, but we, we definitely talked about it being something that would take a little bit more time. And I, and I think that we, we ended up, you know, having a, a discussion one day we were in the kitchen talking about all this stuff. And we were kind of going through all the all the different things that this would mean. You know, did I want to transition medically? What pronouns did I want to use? What name I wanted to use? Um, and when we got to the to the name change aspect, I think specifically, um, I remember mom saying that you know that would be something that was difficult because you know, and I and she can talk more about this, but you know, she had picked out a name for me, and that's an important part of being a parent is is getting to choose that, and you spend a lot of time deciding that and calling your kid that name and, and seeing them a certain way. Um, and, and I think because we had that conversation, it was, I knew where she was coming from. So if, if she made a mistake or if it was taking her longer to get some aspect, I, 
had had that conversation and I knew that her intentions were that she was trying. Um, and I think that's actually where we ended up with the name Aubrey and Moby was because we were having this conversation. And, you know, I said that I wanted to have the name Aubrey. I think mom said something like, you know, that's going to be difficult for me to do. And, you know, I was feeling a little rebellious or something. And I was like, well, I could call you Moby and like, I won't forget to do that. Like it's a, it's a change that I can make. Um, and I think, you know, yeah. it was, it was a way to like, kind of lighten it and, and be like, look, we can both go through something like yep. this together and, and it'll be different how we approach it. But like, like I can change something up for you too. Um, and that ended up becoming something that I think like became really meaningful to us. Like I love, yeah. like now, now it's, a, uh, I love using the term Moby for mom. I use it almost yeah. more than mom. <laughs> um, I think so. I yeah. think so. That was another kayak moment that yeah. actually that we were on the lake. It said, Moby it is. And so now all of our, when we travel together, it's Aubrey and Moby. Yeah. Because on all of our stuff that we put together after our trips. So, yeah, because it is. I mean, so, because as a parent, right, you you know, as Chrissy, as you know, with your children, you you go through a whole lot of, like, what name has meaning and culture meaning, family meaning, whatever right. meaning it is, which is kind of funny how much we put in a name, but that's for another conversation. <laughs> um, and you really want to get it right. Um, and I think though, Aubrey, you started with Bay, and I think we yeah, used Bay. Yeah, when we first we had Bay. the conversation, that was, and I think that yeah. is that is one that's harder. I think harder. for a lot of people to understand yeah. because it's something that's maybe newer to our modern English language. Yeah, there's history of using it, but not necessarily in our culture in the last fifty so years. Um, and I think that one's that one's harder for a lot of people to tackle. Yeah. Um, and you're right. Yeah, I think we had that conversation a, around that time before. We started with that, and then I think it just you just have it's just getting used to it, and and you will mess up. And and as Aubrey said, there's messing up intentionally to do it in a hurtful way and to an right. dismissive way, and there's messing up just because you're trying to make adjustments. And that's very they're very different both of those situations. So, uh, but you do it just it, you give yourself time, you know, and um, you'll adjust, and it it does work out, and people around you. I was surprised because I have wonderful friends, colleagues, and wonderful family. You know, they all picked up on it. And every now and then they might mess up a little because they don't see Aubrey like, you know, I see her talk every day. Um, but because you're not with that person, you might, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just, it's just an adjustment. And try not to tie so much into it being a bad adjustment. I guess one one. one thing to be aware of when we're talking about pronouns and and names and, and dead names which is a, a term in the trans community used to refer to the name usually assigned at birth or, or the one that your family refers to you as that you may not feel comfortable using um is that i i think there's a sense that we can almost tell when it's used um in a, in a purposeful negative way i think you can really tell when something is an authentic accident um, and, and sometimes when someone is kind of willfully not beginning to make that adjustment um, and kind of two things going off of that. One is that I think even when you're trying your best and you make those mistakes, there, there might be an inclination to be like, well, I'm just making a mistake. So you can't be offended or be hurt when I make this. Oh, mistake. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily true. I think both things can be true at once. I think it can be an authentic mistake, but it, it doesn't mean that the person who's hearing it won't be hurt by it. 
Um, and that, and I think that's like a, a, a difficult thing for both parties is, is that, you know, you as the person who's misgendering someone or dead naming someone accidentally is not meaning to do that. Um, and you know, the trans person in the situation is trying to meet it with grace, but it does still affect them in a, in a hurtful way, just because, you know, it's, it's a reminder of, of how they're being seen in the world or, you know, even right. while accidentally it makes, makes them feel othered or, or separated from this identity they've been building for themselves. So I think it requires a little bit of going back, you know, you know reusing grace here that uh, on both sides, right. That knowing that it's still with, um, you know, intent over impact, you didn't mean to make, to accidentally do this, but it still impacted this person in a way that affected them emotionally. Um, so I think both things are true at once and it requires both parties to kind of, uh, you know, be aware of that. And then in that, in that same vein of like when the mistakes happen and things like that in conversations with trans people, I think one of the biggest things we talk about with when these situations happen is I think sometimes there's, sometimes I think the accidents happen more frequently when people are thinking of the pronoun change as a like sentence structure change rather than seeing the person as who they are. So I think a lot of people tend to make the mistake when they're using new pronouns for someone or a new name for someone because in their head and in their private conversations and in how they view that person, that change hasn't been made yet. So they're actively in their sentences while they're forming them in their head thinking, um, you know, they're they're in, they're inserting the pronoun while they're formulating the sentence, which I think leads to some of the slip ups where you know they'll be doing pretty well with the use of pronouns, and then all of a sudden you know the other pronoun will slip out or the dead name will. And I think a lot of that is because when we have more time to think and speak intentionally, we can kind of do that. But when we get into more emotional conversations or things where we're speaking quickly, it's a lot harder to make those adjustments yeah. in your head. Um, so I think you know. One of the big things is if you if you feel yourself making those accidents or, or making those slip ups more frequently, to to a lot of trans people, I think we've we've kind of pieced together that that's happening because maybe that maybe you haven't you know taken that second to really internalize it and think of the person you're referring to as that new identity and getting comfortable with that. And I think as people get more comfortable with mm -hmm. that in your life, they really, you really start to see how it becomes um, seamless. And I think that's, that's something a lot of out trans people experience because, you know, they'll go to a new social setting where people are meeting them as themselves for that first time. They have no preconceived ideas about them. So they're seeing them as that identity. So there's very little chance for a slip up. Whereas a family member, you're, you're going against years of yep. seeing exactly. someone a certain way. So if that conscious change hasn't yeah. started to happen, um, then no matter how many years you've been out for, if they still haven't taken that time to process it and see you as that person, those slip ups can keep mm -hmm. happening because it's more of a mechanical thing than yep. an actual view of the identity. That's perfect. Cause as a parent, that's what makes it so difficult because as a parent, you're, I, I see Aubrey as she is. I see Aubrey as a female. This is Aubrey. This is who right. she is. And I, it's easier now because I don't have exactly what she just perfectly described. You know, who do I see? You know, I, if you're thinking about it and it's mechanical, then you haven't accepted right. and moved on to this is who she is. This person is a female. This is Aubrey. 
if I'm doing it mechanically, I didn't buy into it yet. Right. Hence all the, mis- that's where the mistakes will come in. Cause you're not seeing, you've got right. your own stuff going on. You're not seeing that person for who he or she really is. That's great. That was great. Very helpful. Mm-hmm. Thanks, sweetie. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, so you talked a little bit, Aubrey, about dead names and what that term means. Um, but thinking, I feel like it's important to kind of acknowledge and also just discuss and share about, you know, what is your experience of looking back to the past now? Mm-hmm. Well, I, to both of you, to you and also to Bethan. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's so varied, I think, by, by every person. I think there's some trans people who can be very comfortable with, you know, pictures and memories and things of the past. And they can kind of see that as like, you know, that's who I was then. This is who I am now. And they, and they make kind of their own, um, like a connection to, to the, that and, and how they feel comfortable with it. Um, for myself, I, I have kind of gotten within more in the last like year or two, you know, when I look back, I often see myself as I am now in those past memories. And, you know, when I see photos and stuff like that, it's, you know, it's clear that I looked a certain way or that, you know, that's how I was at that point and and who I was being referred to. Um, You know, for me, retroactively, I like to imagine that I was Aubrey the whole time. I, I, you know, I picture myself as I am now in the past. Um, But that's not true for everyone. There's, there's some trans people who are, are comfortable hearing their dead name in the setting of, distant past and things like that and there's some for whom they're like I would rather not even imagine that that other you know perception of me existed um for me seeing photos especially when I'm like much younger it really doesn't affect me in any kind of negative way um I I I think I I view like much younger version of myself as not even a very like gendered person in general I'm like that you know that was just me as a kid it doesn't feel like it was any kind of identity or anything like that um but i i I, more towards like the high school age middle school age stuff like that you know i wouldn't necessarily you know want someone to post a photo of me in like eighth grade because that's you know when i was starting to have some discomfort around who i was and, and how i was appearing and things like that so you know publicly seeing something like that you know especially attached to my dead name or something like that would feel deeply uncomfortable for me um but when we get into like childhood, family memories, stuff like that, doesn't have as much of an impact because it's for me at least, you know, that was its own thing and it's kind of separate from mm-hmm. um, yeah. what I was going through. That being said, I think like there's there's very few settings now where I would be comfortable really hearing my dead name, and especially in terms of like identifying me now, I would really not feel comfortable with that. Um, so, so even then I was, you know, like if I'm talking about past Aubrey in a conversation with someone, you know, I, ideally I would want them to refer to me when I was younger in that same way. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also, mm-hmm. again, that's just me personally. And it, it really is yeah. different for everyone because, you know, for some people, their whole journey was different. Um, you know, especially if they started knowing they were trans younger, they might have a whole different concept yeah. of, of what that feels like. So as a parent, as a mom, So I see I have a different lens. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we're sort of wired to, you know, have these memories of childhood memories and uh, um, traditions and all of these things. And so, you know, and and you think of that along this continuum also of 
what your dreams or aspirations or expectations are of this child mm-hmm. that you, you know, from birth on. So it kind of messes with, with that part of who we are as a parent, you know, and what, like, we're like wired to do and to think. So that, that's hard. I'm not going to minimize it and say, oh, that's just such an easy thing to let go of. It's really easy to put all the photos away. It's easy to not go back and sit down and let's look at old home movies. It's not because that's what we all do. Right. That's it. That's that's what we do. So I'm not going to say that that's easy, but um, it's also okay to do it differently. And it's always this idea that you've got to have some flexibility. Yeah. So I, you know, I do think when we talk about, Aubrey will say this, we talk about, childhood memories we could talk about them in the sense of hey remember when we were in avalon and blah 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 mm-hmm. or remember that trip we took to okay remember how you used to say or do we could do that right. without necessarily the name mm-hmm. or that you were you know what your gender at the time was right. so the memories aren't burned it's it's not like you say oh my goodness we've got to lock them away somewhere because it still makes up who she is mm-hmm. as a person i mean those memories contribute to this whole being So it just takes time, but it's harder. Perhaps it might be harder for a parent because again, we have expectations of, of childhood and all these special memories and graduation. You just name the events. And then we have expectations of what your life, what Aubrey's life's going to look like, you know, but what did I think it was going to be for her when, when Aubrey wasn't Aubrey. And then I'm like, Oh, I have to let go of that. I got to change that. I got to think of that differently. But again, what's okay. So what? It's, it's not bad. It's just different. Yeah. And let that go. Um, don't hold on to it. And I think we do that with our kids for lots of things. Mm-hmm. Expectations of what career they'll have, yep. where they'll go to college, who their friends will be, who they'll marry. It, it just, to me, seems like um, the, the sooner that you move on, and accept this right new experience and make it a wonderful new experience and not, oh no, you've now ruined this for me, or I can't have this mom experience that I'm supposed to have. I think that's that's where it's hard for parents to to kind of let go of those things and to not feel like, why can't we be like everybody else? Yeah. It does go back to that basics that we've we've talked about in other episodes too, mm-hmm. of just like I think it was Jess Leahy. Just like parent mm. the kid that you have, not the kid you wish you had. Mm. And right. and that a- applies yeah. to everything. We've everything. said that in other episodes, but it, I mean, it just applies across the board for everything yeah. as far everything. as mental health, drug and alcohol use, risk taking, all of it. It's just, I mean, mm-hmm. and I, I remember just as an aside, when I was pregnant with my first kid and a woman, a colleague of mine at the time, had come into our office where I was working at the time and she had a baby that would, had just turned one or something. So she was a little bit ahead of me in the game. And she goes, and I was sitting on an exercise ball because this child was not, was sideways. And I was hell bent on having this kid turn and I would bounce on this ball all day long. And, and she comes in and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, this baby's going to turn. We're going to, I'm not having a C-section. This baby's going to turn. And she goes, Hmm childhood children their biggest lesson in letting go of that you have no con- what that's what she said having children is the biggest lesson that you have no control and that you have to let go of control cut to emergency c-section right. like three weeks early <laughs> but like 
It really is true, though, and that, I think, is the lesson is that you don't have any control, and the sooner that you can kind of... Exactly. And, and it really is that control mm -hmm. piece and kind of the, you know, accept and love and parent the kid yeah. that you have, not the kid you wish you had. Yeah, so. I don't see the alternative. I, I, I never right. have, and I've always kind of struggled with, yes, there'll be, there'll be sad moments, they'll be angry, they'll be frustrated, you'll be confused, there'll be emotional stuff. However, those are emotions. Mm -hmm. Think about this in the long term. Right. What else, you know, why? And especially when you know that there are some pretty serious consequences to taking right. a different path. Because when we look at these mental health issues, they're very, very real. And when we look at the substance use issues, and when we think about, um, you know, LGBTQ youth who are now homeless right. or have rejection yep. from family um, or friends, um, it to me is unimaginable. Absolutely unimaginable i i understand that it happens i can understand the how and why it happens but just like anything as a parent your main responsibility is you are loving this child and you want them to truly have what they feel is their authentic self because when they're authentic they're happy they're healthy they're going to make healthier choices when they're authentic they're not going to yeah. try to pretend somebody that they're not they're going to not mask who they are and they're not going to turn to unhealthy ways to cope isn't that the better alternative to fighting that and then pushing them into a path that's really, you know, quite detrimental to them in so many ways? Yeah. I mean, I think it's like with the, like what you were both were saying with the idea of, you know, the expectations that you build up for your kid, would you rather hold on to all the expectations that you have and this concept you have of your child at, at the risk of losing your actual child? Right. That's it. Like that, that 40% statistic is, is That's horrific. It. Like that, yeah. that, and, and like mom just said, the homelessness statistic too, or the houselessness statistic also, and that's, that's a huge number. And, and would you, would you really rather commit to, you know, everything you have planned and built up and are holding on to, or meet your child where they are and kind of adjust to these new expectations and get to then have them in your life, happy, healthy, Absolutely. there to love, um, and I think that's, like you said, that's that, I mean, that's what it comes down to in the end. Is. That's how I see it. All right. So we're up to our last segment, which is our take action tips. And so we always like to ask our guests one thing that if they could tell parents to do one thing today, what would it be? Especially those parents that might be going through this. I, I think like the most, well, in, in terms of like interpersonal stuff, I think the most important thing that I feel like came up a couple of times in our conversation for this episode was, the, the grace and compassion side of it. Like mm. there's going to be a lot of conversations involved at any stage of this. Um, and, and I think the most important thing is to just like have those conversations, know, know that it's going to probably take a, a while of you guys talking these things through. Um, but just for both parties involved in the conversation to come to it with, with those ideas of, of grace and compassion and knowing, you know, you there there are sides of this that both of you have very strong feelings on and you're you're gonna have to to hear each other out on some aspects and and the best way to do that is with that understanding that you know going into it knowing that there's gonna be stuff you don't know um and stuff that might feel uncomfortable or or um challenging your worldview and <laughs> just like that going into that conversation ready for that and and ready to to sit back and say, you know, after the conversation, you know, there's still something that's maybe challenging to me or feels odd to me, but I'm going to sit with that 
and, and figure out why it makes me feel that way and, and come back into our next conversation ready to kind of take an even further step with that. And I also would say first for parents steps, um, if you're the, if you're a type of person that needs to read and do the research and that's what makes you feel comfortable and prepared, then do that. Um, I, right. I, I mean, I think, and obviously find, you know, credible, reliable sources to do that from, uh, then I think you should do that because for a lot of folks having that background knowledge is comfortable and, um, it gives them the language or it, it just helps them feel that they're more, um, more confident in moving forward. So I would definitely suggest to do that. Um, I would also say for some parents that perhaps, um, reaching out to someone who has experience in this, and that could also just be perhaps another family, a friend. It doesn't necessarily always have to be someone that has the credentials. Like sometimes right. just talking to others who have gone through this experience can be a tremendous help with all things mental health, all things substance use related, right? Also, though, reaching out to professionals is probably at some point going to need to happen. And also the school community and making those connections to the people who are with your child every day who are interacting with him or her. You're going to have to have those conversations. So it's, it's quite an involved and a, and a big process. But if you think about, you would do this for your child regardless. You would do this if they were having an academic problem. If all of a sudden you find out, oh, my child's ADHD. Oh, or my child has this. Wouldn't you go through all of those mm-hmm. steps? It's the same thing. You would talk to other parents. Mm-hmm. You would talk to professionals. You would read about it. That's fine. I mean, they could do all of those things. Um, but I think that what you also have to be able to do in, in this situation is some of the things that, that Aubrey's saying that are they're the emotional things. And to keep the focus, you don't forget about yourself. But remember, these are the things you would do for your child in any situation that he or she was going through. On, on one one last little thing going off, like I think I think both of those things would be um, – you know, if it is something that's that you know is going to be a little tougher for you to to grasp some of it, um, I think some of that stuff can sometimes happen behind the scenes. Not necessarily saying like you know keep how you're feeling about it from from your child, but if there's things that you're really struggling with to to work through, like mom was saying, some of that can be done in conversations with people absent from the conversation with your trans child so that you know when you're talking to them about it you provide as much support and excitement um, as you can even if necessary you might have some reservations that you're still working through yourself just just in the Mm -hmm. sense of you know making them feel as supported and seen as they can Um, and you know I've talked about this with some trans people with like how they do the coming out. I know I, we we talked earlier in this episode about how we were really lucky to get to do it face to face and have that conversation. And we joked about you know Josh posting on social media for his coming out years prior. Um, but you know some of it can be that you might have to navigate these conversations in a way that allows for some of that space. So you know if you have to present some of the more difficult conversations and the form of a letter or in the form of, you know, a a voice message or something where you know that, you know, the person you're speaking to might have a more visibly shocked or negative reaction at first, but you're confident that they will work through it um, eventually, you know, giving them the space to kind of have that first reaction. Um, Because sometimes seeing that reaction can be, you know, like we were saying with the the misgendering and the dead naming stuff, um, 
regardless of the intention of it, sometimes seeing the negative reaction can have a, a bad impact yeah. on the person. Um, so, you, you know, not all of the conversations have to happen with both of you in the same room. Like mom was saying, you know, they can happen with a, another family who has had the experience mm -hmm. or speaking to a, a trans person who's a resource who can help you outside of your own immediate family setting where you might be totally comfortable with the idea of someone being trans um, in general, but maybe in your own personal family, mm -hmm. it becomes a lot more conflicting. So maybe you can have those conversations, you know, absent from your trans family member with someone who might help guide you through that. And then when you sit down with your, your kid to have that discussion, you'll be able to meet them with more of the, the compassion and grace and everything and less of the immediate reaction. Mm -hmm. I loved this conversation so much. Yeah. I loved it. it Aubrey, great. thank you so much for so making good. time to chat with us me. and for both of you sharing your journey and this story. I'm so happy we got to do this. I, I, me I, too. I, thank you for the offer, for great. the opportunity. I yeah. hope, but I also know that listeners and other parents will find this helpful and supportive. Yeah. I just, they just can't not. So, so thank you thank so much. You. And thank you to everyone for listening and joining us today. So please make sure to check the show notes. You'll see links to everything that we talked about today. And also, if you have not subscribed, please be sure to click that little check mark to follow or subscribe wherever, whatever app you're listening to us in so that you get new episodes every other Monday and stay up to date. And we will talk to you in two weeks. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Chrissy. Thanks, sweetie. Love Thank ya. you. <laughs>